0: Well, good morning. Welcome to Sunday school. Amen. Amen. Book of Micah, chapter 6. Yes, I know Brother DeGarmo is back. I'm sure you're all ready for a real Bible teacher. One that engages with the class more and loves people. <laughs> and um, instead of having to hear me and endure two, two morning sermons... Um, But three things first. I need to verify if he even wants to teach anymore. I don't want to take that for granted. (laughs) Uh, Number two, I need to find out if they're going to be out of town for any post deployment trips. Maybe you want to take your family to the Middle East and show them. (laughs) That's how I know I've never been deployed. Like, I've been deployed, but I've never really been deployed. Because where I've been, I'm like, man, I wish I could bring my family over here. (laughs) Yeah, Diego Garcia. I mean, tropical paradise. All right, so if you want to take your, your family over to, you know, Kuwait or whatever. And then um, three, I need to finish the book of Micah. We are getting close. Amen. Hey, man, we're getting there. Um, Mike Petraco, thank you for teaching last week. I appreciate that, brother. It was a huge help to me because my plate has been overflowing and 2022 is beginning no differently. Man, I, I tell you, I used to think life went pretty quick, but in the ministry, it's like... It's the other day, I thought it was 2019. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that? when I was like, come on, it's 2019. And you were like... Anyway, <clears throat> thank you, Brother Petrocco. I had more to do than I could get done. And um... Well, didn't you take a couple days off recently? Well, not really. Things aren't always as they seem. Um, I actually had some sermons to prepare because I was going down to uh, teen, winter teen camp and uh, preaching to our teens for a couple days, and so um, I needed to try to prepare for that. And Anyway, <clears throat> some of you may remember I did a 10-week series surrounding the relationship between a pastor and church. Mm-hmm. I know it may be hard to imagine, but a pastor never fully gets away from the watch care of a church. Uh, Most of the times, what you may see as time off is just reshuffling priorities. Um, For example, um, I I was preparing for that that winter camp thing here recently. Um, I I would say the only time I really felt like it's been a good getaway was our 25th anniversary trip to South Padre Island, and uh, uh, South Padre is where it's at. I mean, that's that's where it's at, and so um, great restaurant there, and and so we're going to probably drive down there just to eat again. Now I want you to know that's not a complaint Um, It's no one's fault It's just ministry, amen Emergencies arise, needs come up uh, Things have to be dealt with and taken care of And it's not from a lack of trying to get away Um, Y'all have been very gracious to me And very supportive in that And accommodating And uh, over the years as pastor My wife has learned When I look at her and say I need a brain break she knows I need a brain break. Not that I'm about to go postal or anything, but um, anyway. One of our deacons asked me recently, how you, how you been doing? And I said, well, uh, I'm getting to that point where I'm, I'm about to tip. And um, I let them know that i would probably be trying to get away soon, uh, maybe after the State of the Church Address. Well, I, I don't know that that's ever going to happen. But uh, I have to try my best to telegraph these things because people like everything to be just nice and neat. And, and that's not how life works. Yeah. Amen. Uh, that's not how life works. Um, so I try to forewarn the best I can, but um, you just can't predict ministry. I was just speaking to a pastor friend of mine Thursday night, and um, he brought up out of the blue, he, he said, uh, I just need a break. And I said, yeah, I understand what you're saying. And he said, yeah, it's not the demands. It's not that I'm depressed. It's not the frustrations, and I'm not questioning my call. He said, I just need a break. And I said, yeah, it's hard to explain sometimes. Um, you know, I, I try to tell people I'm not out on a ledge. You know what I mean? I'm, it's not like I'm contemplating uh, leaping off something. I, it, it's not that I, I want to, you know, replace the deer heads with deacon heads or something like that, that's, that's not the, the thing. But um, yeah, and, and it's not even that I feel like I, I want to quit. You know, but sometimes you just need a break and uh, you just need some time off. And um, we both agreed with the statement, it's best to come apart before you come apart. And then we laughed about it, and we moved on, and I think we're both in the pulpit today. <laughs> anyway, just, I, I just have to say these things, because if I ever do get away sometimes, uh, I want you to know it's not to eat chips and watch movies. <laughs> it would be for the sake of being able to pray, hear from God, with less distractions. And that's why I like to get in the car and just drive. Um, I did that once. I ended up in San Francisco. I don't know why, but that's where I ended up. And um, it's just good to drive stress relief, get alone with God. And uh, in fact, in trying to motivate me to lose weight, my beautiful wife, she said, if you'll hit your goal weight, I'll let you take a trip, a road trip. I said, girl, I don't need you telling me what I can and can't do. I'll do what I want when I want. You know, in all seriousness, as pastor, you start to view certain scriptures a little bit differently. And uh, it's because now you see a different side of things. And and that happens in everybody's life. Um, maybe certain scriptures before kids have a different meaning when you have kids and, and so on and so forth. And uh, and just life, as life changes, uh, one of those accounts is uh, right after Jesus is baptized. Um, has kind of just taken on a different appreciation for me. And uh, he was was baptized, the Spirit of God came down upon him, God speaks from heaven, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And in the next verse, I like Mark's wording, In, in Mark's account it says in chapter 1 and verse 12, and immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. Matthew and Luke both say that Jesus was led of the Spirit, into the wilderness, but Mark says Jesus was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness. And sometimes the Spirit has to drive us to get us alone with God. And I think sometimes the circumstances we go through that we've talked about in Micah chapter six, that God brings us to these circumstances, I think sometimes God's just trying to say, you know, what? I just want to fellowship with you, I just want to be with you, but you're too busy. Even in the ministry. Martha, you're comforted about with much serving. Just sit at my feet and hear what I have to say. And sometimes the Spirit has to drive us away. And, and here's, the part, here's the thing here. You can't schedule it. You can't predict it. It's not always the best timing. But it's of the Lord. Jesus had just showed up on the scene. Uh, imagine all the buzz. That's taking place. Jesus shows up on the scene. His public ministry is beginning. Uh, People are excited that the time has finally been fulfilled. He's baptized. He's declared uh, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And then right after he's baptized, boom, he's gone for 40 days and 40 nights. Wow! Come on, God, that's not the best timing. It probably wasn't to a lot of people, but it was God's timing. And the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. And, and it's noteworthy that while Jesus was away in the wilderness, he wasn't just chilling in the wilderness, soaking in the sun. He was tempted of the devil that whole time. It wasn't just at the end. If you read all three accounts of, of that taking place, it's clear that Jesus was tempted the whole time he was in the wilderness. And he was fasting and he was praying. But, but here's the great part, and, and part of the reason I think God drives us away, it says that the angels came and ministered unto him. Sometimes we just need to be ministered unto. Amen. And, and so, listen, I'm trying to encourage you. You ought to take time away to be with God. Well, that was a long rabbit trail. Uh, let's see. Sorry you had to do all that, but thank you, Mike Petrocco. That's where, that's where we were going there. Um, and I don't know that Tim Wells is here yet or will be here today, but he filled in for a Wednesday, and I appreciate that. But um, you should be in Micah by now. If you haven't found your place there, shame on you. Um, Micah (laughs) chapter, well, that went over good. Micah chapter 6, let's read verses 9 through 16. The Lord's voice crieth unto the city, and the man of wisdom shall see thy name. Hear ye the rod, and who hath appointed it? Are there yet the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked, and the scant measure that is abominable? Shall I count them pure with the wicked balances and with the bag of deceitful weights? For the rich men thereof are full of violence, and the inhabitants thereof have spoken lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Therefore also will I make thee sick, and smiting thee, and making thee desolate because of thy sins. Thou shalt eat, but not be satisfied, and thy casting down shall be in the midst of thee. And thou shalt take hold, but shalt not deliver. And that which thou deliverest will I give up to the sword... Thou shalt sow, but thou shalt not reap. Thou shalt tread the olives, but thou shalt not anoint thee with oil. The, and sweet wine, but shalt not drink wine. For the statutes of Omri are kept, and all the works of the house of Ahab. And ye walk in their councils, that I should make thee a desolation in the, inhab, in the inhabitants thereof, and hissing. Therefore ye shall bear the reproach of my people." Sorry, I got a big old crease in my Bible here, and it's messing up the text. Um, and my wife knows how much I hate this, and I'm going to have to get a new Bible now. Um, so, over the last two lessons, we've covered verses nine through twelve. We saw in first in verse nine that it is actually God's goodness which causes Him to cry out unto us, trying to. Get our attention. He wants us to hear the rod approaching. Judgment is on the way and He wants us to respond to it before the rod has to be applied. And I think that's how we are as parents. We give a warning (coughs) hoping that there'll be correction, not wanting to apply the rod. And God, as a loving Father, He, He warns us ahead of time and He tells us that this is what is going to result if we're not careful. And He cries out unto us. And and He wants us to know that the rod is approaching. And and all God really wants from us is our fellowship. He just wants us to be in touch with Him. And we have to learn to recognize God's working through our circumstances. I don't want to re-preach that. Last time we saw in verses 10 through 12 how God abhorred their wicked balances, their deceitful weights, their treasures of wickedness, he calls them. They, they were gaining by defrauding people. Remember that as God's children, a good name is rather to be chosen than, than great riches, than silver and gold. Listen, there's nothing wrong with having great riches. God's okay with that. Thank God for those rich Christians that are very... Um, faithful to give and to be a blessing to others. But I, I would tell you this. If you have to choose between great riches and a great name, mm-hmm. right. forsake the riches. Choose the great name. Um, that's what God would want. Now, I didn't get through all of my lesson last time, but I was in the process of trying to highlight how um, this continued indictment we're reading here in the last half of chapter 6, it actually is ties in to verse 8, and it is... Direct contrast. God God had said in verse 8, look at what He said there. Um, He has showed, well, Micah saying this, but we know it's from God. He has showed thee, O man, what is good. What doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. God said, this is what I require. This is what's good. I just want you to do justly. I want you to love mercy. I want you to walk humbly with me. And then, I gave you my opinion there in verses, in, in, in verse seven, verse six and seven. That it, it sounds like you know they're kind of just being snarky about the whole thing. Uh, you know, God it's never enough for you. I, I I could bring you all of this. I could bring you the the fruit of our uh, of of the firstborn, and we could offer our children, and, and that still wouldn't be enough for you. God said, this is what I've this is what I've required, and and I think it's that attitude here. God continues to lay out this indictment, and he says, oh yeah you think you're doing justly, then why are there treasures of wickedness? Why are there false balances? Why are there deceitful measures? And God is showing that He's justified in what He's bringing against them and trying to get them to see they were not doing justly. We saw in verse 12, the rich men thereof are full of violence. And the inhabitants thereof have spoken lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. So not only did they not do justly, but they also did not love mercy. They were violent. They were oppressing their their kinsmen. They were liars and they were deceitful. And then, of course, there's a lot more we covered. If you missed it, please listen. But look again here at verses 13 through 15 as we move on. Therefore also... Will I make thee sick and smiting thee and making thee desolate because of thy sins? Thou shalt eat but not be satisfied. And Thy casting down shall be in the midst of thee, and thou shalt take hold but shalt not deliver. And that which thou deliverest will I give up to the sword. Thou shalt sow, but thou shalt not reap. Thou shalt tread the olives, but thou shalt not anoint thee with oil. And sweet wine, but shalt not drink wine. Um, God says he was going to make them sick in smiting them. Making them desolate, they would become sick. Remember from verse 9, the Lord's voice is crying out to them. He wants them to hear the rod approaching. The wise in the land, they would respond appropriately. But to the rest who refused God's call, they would be smitten of God. Destruction was on the way. That's what God's saying here. Captivity was going to follow the destruction. The house of Israel was destroyed by the Assyrians. They were led away captive into all nations. The house of Judah later destroyed by the Babylonians. Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. They were carried away captive into Babylon for 70 years before returning Both houses of Israel and therefore all the children of Israel experienced God's smiting. They both experienced desolations. And why? Because of the end of verse 13. Because of thy sins. There's a penalty for sins. What's the principle here? And and we see it played out in the other two verses. But what's the principle here? Um, You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So just as they had smitten the poor with the rod of oppression, God's going to smite them with His rod and oppress them. And in so doing, they were going to be made sick to their stomach because of the treasures of wickedness. And that sounds... Interesting, but when you read Job uh, 20, 15, it makes a lot more sense. He has swallowed down riches, and he shall vomit them up again. Welcome back, Brother DeGarmo. Uh, God shall cast them out of uh, his belly. That which they thought was going to benefit them was just going to make them sick. uh, Spiritually sick. In verse 14, they would eat and not be satisfied. They'd be cast down and they wouldn't be delivered. God, in other words, God was going to give them over to their enemies. In verse 15, though they would sow the field, they would not reap a harvest. Uh, They would tread the olives, but they wouldn't be able to use that oil. They would tread the grapes, but they wouldn't be able to enjoy any of the wine. Uh, in, In other words, all the riches they got, they were not going to be able to enjoy. That which they got by deceitful means, God says, you're not going to enjoy it. It's, and it's because of your sinfulness I have to deal with you. By the way, the wages of sin is death. That's right. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. If you're without Christ today, the wage of your sin is death. And that death is going to lead to an eternal separation from God in a place called hell. That's not fair, it's because of your sins. God's dealt with that. He sent Jesus Christ to bear your sins. He bore all the sins of the world. All you have to do is receive the free gift. Now, Matthew Henry wrote this, What is got by fraud and oppression cannot be kept or enjoyed with any satisfaction. That's that's good. What is got by fraud and oppression cannot be kept or enjoyed with any satisfaction. And that's the, the picture here. Now, uh, the last thing, verse 16. So what we've seen so far is we've seen three things that you're supposed to do, Israel. You're supposed to do justly. You're to love mercy and walk with God. You're not doing justly because you're using false balances and deceitful weights. You're not loving mercy because you're full of violence. And here in verse 16, we're going to see that they were not walking humbly with their God. Look, look at what it says. For the statutes of Omri are kept and all the works of the house of Ahab, and ye walk in their counsels, that I should make thee a desolation and the inhabitants thereof in hissing. Therefore ye shall bear the reproach of my people. Um, they're charged again here with idolatry. Th- this, is, this is the last of what ties back to verse 8, but um, God said, I want you to walk humbly with me. Walk humbly with your God. They're not doing that. We've seen they were unjust. They didn't love mercy, and now we see they're not walking with their God. Now, Omri and Ahab, (coughs) excuse me, Omri and Ahab were back to back kings within the house of Israel. Uh, Ahab was the son of Omri, if I've got that right. Yeah. Ahab was the son of Omri. They were both wicked kings, which, by the way, all the kings within the house of Israel did wickedly. Not one of them did right before the Lord. And I want to read to you First Kings 16, verses 25 through 33 to give you a better idea of this Omri fellow and Ahab. First Kings 16, beginning in verse 25 says, But Omri wrought evil in the eyes of the Lord and did worse than all that were before him. Great guy. For he walked in the way of Jeroboam the son of Nebat. And in his sin wherewith he made Israel to sin. Now who was Jeroboam? Jeroboam was the first king of the house of Israel. After it split, Rehoboam had the house of Judah. Jeroboam had the house of Israel. And Jeroboam didn't want the 12 tribes reuniting. So being king over the northern 10 tribes, he thought what better way to keep them from going to Jerusalem to worship God than to have two golden calves made, one in Dan and one in Beersheba, if I remember correctly, and, and they would worship those golden calves, and that was the sin of Jeroboam. And Omri here, he kept that going, and, and it goes on to say, to provoke the Lord of uh, God of Israel to anger with their vanities. Now the rest of the acts of Omri, which he did, and it might be Omri, I don't know how to pronounce that, but and his might that he showed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Omri slept with his fathers, and he was buried in Samaria. And Ahab his son reigned in his stead. And in the thirty and eighth year of Asa, king of Judah, began Ahab the son of Omri to reign over Israel. And Ahab and the son of Omri reigned over Israel in Samaria twenty and two years. And listen to this. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. (laughs) Well, that's what we read about his dad. And now the son's doing even worse. You've heard it said before, what you do in moderation, your kids will do in excess. That's the danger of putting temptation before them. You may have a handle on it, but they may not. And and Ahab, he did worse than Omri, and it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam. (laughs) Ahab did so much worse, it was like, uh, man, Jeroboam, it looked like it wasn't quite that bad. That he took to wife Jezebel. We all know Jezebels, amen? And never name your daughter Jezebel. Man, wicked, ungodly woman. And, and listen, wives have power over men, husbands. It's crazy. And she just really took Ahab to a whole nother level of wickedness. She was the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Zidonians. And, and then it goes on to say, and went and served, talking about Ahab, went and served Baal and worshipped him. And, and listen to what he did. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. Now that's saying something because they were all wicked. 1 Kings 21, verses 25 and 26. But there was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel his wife stirred up. And he did very abominably in following idols according to all things, as did the Amorites whom the Lord God cast out before the children of Israel. Now the great thing about Ahab was he eventually humbled himself. Elijah had come and foretold of God's judgment against him and his house. And when you're told that dogs are going to lick your blood, it, it kind of makes you straighten up a little sometimes. And, and, and when you're told by the prophet that dogs are going to eat your dead wife, <laughs> you kind of wonder, well, maybe I'm really off track here. And anyway, he eventually humbled himself, but um, God would still bring judgment after his life. But these two kings did very wickedly. They built upon the wickedness of Jeroboam's idolatry. Their wickedness was continued to be practiced throughout the house of Israel's history. The house of Judah would eventually adopt their idolatry, and this would go on throughout their history. But Isaiah 9.16 says, for the leaders... Of this people caused them to err, and they that are led of them are destroyed. The leadership in the land is so critical. Can I get an amen right there this morning? Listen, if you can't tell a difference between President Trump and President Biden, come and see me. There's a big difference. I'm not saying one's a righteous man and one's not, but one's a leader and one's not. I can deal with the orange skin. All right, let's not get too political. Yeah, amen, brother. In Micah's day, they were said to still be walking in the councils of Omri and Ahab. So think about all I just read there from Kings. God here says, you're still walking in their statutes. And... and Obviously, God's got a problem with this. God has sent the prophets to them to warn them to straighten up, but they just continued going on in their rebellion. Jeremiah seven twenty four. But they hearkened not, nor inclined their ear, but walked in their in the counsels and the imagination of their evil heart and went backward and not forward. You see, there was a generational sinfulness. And boy, we are seeing that in America today. There was a generational sinfulness. And we should learn that our impact, or our actions will have a great impact on the generations that follow us. I think sometimes the only reason we're still blessed is because we're still reaping some of the fruit that our founding fathers planted way back then. What are we going to do when that harvest is over? And listen, we ought to take heed, is what I'm saying. We ought to take heed as God's people that. We ought to be doing justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly with our God because the generations that are coming after us are dependent upon us walking right with God. It was the leadership that failed Israel, and the, and the whole nation went after it. And, and listen, we've got to step it up. That's what I'm saying this morning. We've got to step it up as God's people. Our children are depending on us. Our grandchildren are depending on us. Even generations that may still be to come if the Lord tarries, they're depending on us. We've had men coming here on 4th of July, God and country. It the first time I was here. And I remember them standing up saying, our generation has failed you. Sounds like our generation could say the same thing. Righteousness exalteth a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. Because of their idolatry, because they fe- refuse to walk humbly with God, desolation is on its way. They would bear their reproach. Now, it says there would be a hissing. They would be, what it means is they would be derided. It's, it's akin to being reproached. And it just means that there would be an amazement in how in the world did this happen to this nation? Deuteronomy 28 37, and thou shalt become an astonishment, a proverb, and a byword among all nations whither the Lord shall lead thee. Jeremiah 18.16, to make their land desolate and a perpetual hissing. Everyone that passeth thereby shall be astonished and wag his head. Jeremiah 29.18, and I will persecute them with the sword and with famine and with the pestilence and will deliver them to be removed to all the kingdoms of the earth to be a curse and an astonishment and a hissing and a reproach among all the nations, whither I have driven them. And I want to tell you this morning that these verses um, that I've I've been reading here, they're a warning to America. They are written for our admonition, for our example, for our learning. We are on track to be destroyed. And in many ways we, we already have been, but we're on track to be completely destroyed. We were founded on godly principles. Amen. I know there's the rewriting of American history taking place. But listen, there's enough that still exists out there. We were founded on God's word. Amen. That's a fact. I'm not even buying all this, oh, they were, they were really deists. No, they were Christians. George Washington was a deist. Not if you read his diary. He believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I'm going, to get, I'm going to get stuck there, but we were founded on godly principles. We were once a Christian nation. We were once that city upon the hill. I remember Ronald Reagan bragging about that when I was a kid because he was on all three channels we had. <laughs> Hurry up, president. I want to watch football. City upon a hill for others to look at. And, and listen, what I'm telling you this morning, when we fall, Other nations are going to look at us and go, how in the world did that nation fall? How have they become a byword, a proverb, a hissing and astonishment? Just read the book of Lamentations. It begins with, How doth the city sit solitary that was full of people? How has she become a widow? She that was great among the nations and princes among the provinces. How has she become tributary? How did the superpower become under somebody else's authority. We better be paying attention to what's going on in the world. We're heading for the same fate as Israel if we don't repent and turn to God. So what can we do? Well, we go back to verse 8. He has showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy, and walk humbly with thy God. It's true nationally. It's true individually. Matthew Henry wrote, if professors of religion ruin themselves, their ruin will be the most reproachful of any. If those of us who say we are Christians, if we destroy our lives, those are the ones that are reproached. Now, where where does, where does... where does it begin? Reconciliation. Where does getting our nation back, our, our lives back, where, where do we go? Listen, it begins with God's people. God's people, the household of faith, the, the church of the living God. If we want our nation to honor God again, it starts with us. We've got to get our hearts right. The Bible says, for the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And so, may we be found faithful as Liberty Baptist Tabernacle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I believe with all my heart, the day's coming. We're, we're going to be really tested, even in South Dakota. Yeah, yeah. And we're just going to have to know where we stand. Yeah. We can't control all that takes place, but we can control who we are and what we do. Yeah. Listen, the government's going to legislate all they want, but it doesn't mean that we have to be okay with it. Right. right? For example, They may say same-sex marriage is okay, but that doesn't mean we have to practice it in here. We can still stand for what's right, even though the world around us is crazy. They did it in the first century, and it was probably more wicked then than it is now. We just like to put little cute terms on it, make ourselves feel better about our sin. Anyway, I believe we can make a difference. I believe this church can make a difference. And I know that we are. I mean, we're making a difference around the world through the printing ministry. Uh, we're making a difference in Rapid City. I hope you're handing out the church invites with the plan of salvation on them. And and um, we're putting door hangers out there. And, and listen, we, I know we're making a difference. And may we do so until the Lord returns. We just need to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. So anyway, that was a bit disjointed this morning. Sorry about that. Um, But it's a new year. It's a fresh start. So why start high when you can start low and work your way up? All right. Amen. Boom. Nailed it. Justin, that's how you do it. Let's pray.